0: Hello, and welcome to the Association of Insurance Compliance Professionals podcast. AICP serves the insurance compliance community by promoting relationships, exchanging information, and providing learning opportunities within a dynamic regulatory environment. You're listening to It Takes a Flexible Village, the final episode of our series entitled COVID-19, how industry groups view the current and future impact on insurance. With your moderators, Karen Pollitt, the Assistant Vice President of Product Development, Accident and Health Division at Axis Capital, and Scott Whitaker, the Director of Product Design with Perrin Knight. We're very excited to welcome two special guests for today's episode Lisa Brown and Carol Emery from the American Property Casualty Insurance Association. Lisa is the Senior Director of Market Conduct and Counsel at APCIA. Prior to the formation of the APCIA, Lisa had been with the American Insurance Association since 1994 and most recently, directed the AIA law department's program on compliance and regulatory reform issues. She also managed AIA's legal research and surveys and oversaw AIA's legislative reporting service. In her position at APCIA, Lisa continues to have responsibility for compliance and regulatory reform policy issues. Carol has been the assistant vice president of compliance information at APCIA since 2015, leading the team in the publication of regulatory change bulletins, compliance charts, and market conduct bulletins. Prior to her time at APCIA, Carol worked at a mid-sized commercial insurance firm in compliance and a Fortune 100 nationwide insurance company in their law department. Please join Karen, Scott, Lisa, and Carol as they discuss the impact that COVID-19 has had and will continue to have on the insurance industry.
1: Lisa and Carol, welcome to the AICP podcast. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. So the first question is a three-parter and whoever wants to take it, that's fine. What was your biggest challenge at the onset of the pandemic, during the height of the pandemic, and now with regard to the amount of regulatory activity at the state and federal level?
2: Well, I'll start with the, uh, the onset. I will onset with the onset. Um, the, the biggest challenge at that time is just the sheer volume of the requirements that were being thrown at all of us. Um, looking at our publications and comparing them to the prior year, we had an increase in 61% of publications. Uh, but unlike last year, which were mostly enacted law bulletins at this time, those usually give you time to comply. All of these required compliance right now uh, or, you know, maybe a week ago. Um, so that was that was our biggest challenge and also just the sheer sheer variety of the expectations that the states have on us. Certainly. um And that was the biggest issue for me during the height of the pandemic. Just looking at all the various cancellation, uh, non-renewal, moratoria, grace period, um, it seemed like there were 45 different sets of expectations. Um, And with some states, I'm thinking of Oregon and Louisiana saying you cannot cancel or non-renew for any reason, and others saying, hey, you know, we'd kind of appreciate it if you'd give people a grace period.
3: Yeah, Carol, I agree. And I think one of the things that's a, a challenge now as, you know, people employed by a trade association trying to keep all of our members informed and on top of things is now that we've gone through the craziness of all of the different just slightly varied from each other uh, bulletins and executive orders and administrative letters and everything else that came out. Now we have to deal with that many unwindings of those same things and different timing on those. I know, you know, I have been thanking goodness since March 13th when we first left the office, I thought was going to be for two weeks and we're still not back. Um, But for Carol and her team who have juggled all of these things, which I think I probably would have just gone to a COVID party if I had to have Carol's job from the the (laughs) last six months. Um, But I think the unwinding is going to be just as confusing for companies. Um, You know, I think part of the the issue is a regulator issues what they think is the, the best possible provisions for their jurisdiction, sometimes not quite thinking about the fact that we've got 55 others that are doing the same thing at the same time. Um, So I think the variety is what's been the most challenging for for both us as an association and for the, the companies to deal
4: with. Yeah, I would agree. I, uh, I think everybody was uh, challenged there and especially you guys as an association trying to feed all of your uh, members information and, and get it done timely and accurately, et cetera. Um, so, you know, as we look to the, the biggest issue facing regulators and lawmakers today with respect to COVID-19, so in the current, it's hard to believe we're as far current, what, six months from when it first started, what's in your opinion do you think are the biggest issues they face? Um, And if you would be able to speak to maybe twofold, maybe one being the lawmakers or legislators and then the other being the regulators who have to enforce what's going on out there.
3: Um, Yeah, I think there are a couple um, that different legislators and or regulators might define as the one thing keeping them up at night, depending on who you ask. Um, I think the number one, for the legislators, um, and probably many of the regulators is just like the rest of us. It's the uncertainty. Is this ever going to end? Um, and especially for the legislators, it's what comes next. We've, we've all seen the, at times knee-jerk reactions of some of the state legislatures, um, taking a step forward to impose extra contractual requirements on policies that have been in effect forever, ignoring exclusions and that type of thing. So I think a lot of the legislators are looking to, you know, what what happens once this woman does end, what happens if something like this happens again? So you've got, you know, the the workers comp presumption bills that are coming out, the federal government's trying to look at some sort of I think there's three or four proposals floating out there now. One's like a a TRIA for pandemic. One is sort of a reinsurance mechanism within the government. You know, there's comparisons to flood insurance. So I think for the legislators, it's how are we going to deal with this in the awful instance that it happens again? Um, I think the biggest challenge facing the regulators now, because of the uncertainty and when will this ever end, is having to ensure that they're maintaining both the necessary level of consumer protections that they're tasked with affording policyholders but at the same time protecting the financial solvency of the industry which is the other half of their job you know i I think depending on which regulator is speaking at the time they might tell you you know i was put in this job to protect consumers Another might tell you I was put in this job to protect the, the solvency of an industry to, to ensure that it exists to serve consumers and I think in reality it's a two-pronged job that can sometimes be at odds depending on what you're doing if you're looking at some of the premium leniency um, conditions that have been imposed on the industry be it you know not canceling for non-payment of premium and then years to pay back, the back owed premium, once the moratoria ends. Um, it's I think nobody thought on March 13th, which I think is when most people headed home, that on September 2nd, we would still be where we are today. So some of those, I think, very well-intentioned policyholder protection things that were put in place. I think some of the regulators are starting to see that there may be some solvency implications if they're not wound down at some point. Yeah,
1: that's a good point. Um, and you, you mentioned early on the, the different directives that were coming out of the many different states. And what I might add was remarkably quick, frankly, um, for our industry. Uh, what were the lessons learned uh, having been through the pandemic to date? And working with the regulators, uh, well, as your membership?
3: Carol, you want to start that one?
1: I, I will start, and I'll start with a cliche.
2: Um, I have certainly learned it, it takes a village to be compliant with all these requirements. Um, my, my favorite story from the pandemic is Lisa and I are working together on a tracker in which we're writing out all of the different moratoriums. And we had a column that says, whether it's mandatory, voluntary, or we're not sure. And we got to Colorado, which directs insurers to take certain steps. And we discussed direct. We said that's an order. So we said it was mandatory. We had not yet published this uh, this document when I saw an email from one of our lobbyists in, in Denver in which she had been talking to the commissioner who had not once, but twice said that Bulletin is voluntary. Never would have known it if we had just relied on ourselves. Um, and I know it certainly created a lot of excitement amongst membership as well, because they're like, no, it's it's mandatory. I mean, we had people arguing with us, and like, <laughs> no, it's it's apparently voluntary. If he had wanted it to be, um, if he wanted it to be mandatory, it would have been an emergency regulation. So, definitely teamwork um, was was the thing I've I certainly learned. And
3: I wholeheartedly agree, Carolyn. I think part of that um, is I think it's really important to encourage coordination among the regulators. Um, I know we all struggled with the slightly nuanced different requirements that were coming out, but as an organization, um, before we even went home due to COVID, we had started to catalog areas where we were thinking that some regulatory flexibility was probably going to be needed by the industry. You know, for instance, wet signatures and in-person requirements for certain things. Um, Because I think, you know, one of the things that we I believe should pat ourselves on the back as an industry is while we are continuing to serve policyholders and juggle 56 different, versions of 300, you know, compliance requirements. We're also employees of companies that are dealing with the same things our policyholders are and that we're all working remotely. The regulators are in the same place and I think overall the industry meaning the regulation of it and the business of it, I think continued pretty smoothly to run effectively and to serve the policyholders that are expecting nothing less. And I do think that's something that we should, should all be proud of. But we found that in cataloging where we might need this flexibility, we thought, probably go to the NAIC and see if it can happen. So our leadership met with NAIC leadership. And the result was there was a lot of consistency in those sort of nitpicky, tweaky things we thought about. Now, one thing came up at the the recent national meeting where we had to go back in and request, "Oh, can you do one more?" Um, <laughs> both the managing general agent and third party administrator model laws require that insurers do an in-person audit of every mGA or TPA they utilize annually. Well, with travel restrictions and quarantine requirements and telecommuting it's just not feasible. So we have drafted a bulletin that was presented at the D committee that would, um, sort of a, a template for, for states to use to waive those in-person requirements for this year. Um, the other thing I think where the cooperation really paid off, I mean, one of the first things we begged for was, please, please try and be consistent in your data calls. And they, the NAIC did reach out to us, um, in April about the business interruption data call. And we worked very closely with them. You know, it, of course, it wasn't something that we were out there advocating that they do, but I think in that case, it was very helpful that it was a single template for all jurisdictions with one reporting and not, you know, we saw New Jersey and California, I mean, New York and California come out with theirs fairly early on and they weren't identical. So if we had, if, if other states had started following suit and those business interruption data calls varied from state to state, that would have just been a pile on that may have pushed some people over the edge. So I think the, the, the ability to coordinate and work together in Carol's village analogy, I think, is very important.
4: Yeah, I agree. Working together is is one of the main reasons I think things have gone as smoothly as you talked about and and there are a lot of big issues facing regulators, lawmakers, and those of us in the industry. You know, looking um, you know, knowing what you've said to this point, what do you think are your lessons learned um as you've experienced through the pandemic and working with regulators um during the challenging time, but As we look back at COVID, um, I hate to say look back, but as we look back at it, and then 10 years from now, what do you think will be the most important lessons learned for the industry?
2: Looking at at this, looking at uh, the last now six months, um, I think one thing that has really struck me is how flexible our companies have been, and I mean all companies have been with regard to employer employees. I mean, we're all working remotely now. I mean, or we did for a good chunk of time. And if you had asked me at the beginning of the year, would that be the norm in the industry? I would have said, hey, yeah, no. I mean, we we were definitely all people who show up at the office. Um, some places let you work remotely, but I did not think that was the norm. Um, So I think for me, the fact that we all worked from home, and it was so successful, um, I don't think I saw any company miss a step because suddenly their workforce went from being in a building to being remote. Um, So I think that is going to be something that the industry will be looking back on and taking into consideration.
3: Remembering the days we used to go to an office? Um, yeah, yeah. I would add. Um, I think even two years from now, but certainly ten years from now, I believe. And this is a lesson we learn every time there's any sort of catastrophe or crisis that hits the industry, and that is that words matter. Um, for instance, the, di- the discussion Carol and I had on the Colorado Bulletin that directs you to do something sounds pretty mandatory to us, but evidently not. Um, and I think that the the companies are finding the same to be true um in all of the misunderstandings or you know I don't know if it's you know willful ignorance, but we you know we first saw it in travel insurance, then it came up in business interruption, it comes up in event cancellation, but the exclusions and knowing exactly what policy you've purchased, what it does cover and does not cover, I think is going to be something that sticks with the industry for a long time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny, this this next question, um, we, we've kind of touched on it a little bit so far in our discussion, but what was it that made you think that COVID-19 was going to have the implications that it has had on the industry? Like, when did you come to that first realization? And I recall, uh, I, and I forget which one mentioning March 13th, which I just checked my phone and that was a Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, Ironically. Uh, what was it that made you think uh, that COVID-19 was going to have the implications that it has ultimately had on us?
2: Well, for me, it was the the sixteen hour days, just trying to get through um, through all the work that had to be done. And then, as I began to understand that the BI issue had nothing to do with bodily injury, as I had thought, <laughs> uh, but with business interruption, and getting to really understand what that coverage is, and and why it's so big. Um, it, it's so rare that we have any catastrophic event that affects more than just a geogra- a small geographical area. Even Superstorm Sandy, which was the largest I recall, this is this is affecting all of us and um, starting to realize the implications of all of the issues that we're facing both from insurance and from our personal lives. That happened within a couple of weeks when I finally woke up.
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Yeah. And I think, you know, I I assumed it was going to have an impact on the industry to an extent, like I said, prior to us moving home, um, only because we were getting such unusual calls from, from members, um, with questions about coverages that aren't our everyday, let's sit around and talk about type coverages. And, but I think, you know, again, I thought I was packing my laptop to go home for two weeks. But even just them announcing that it's not just DC, it's all of our offices. We've got a large presence in Chicago, a large presence in DC, but then we've got regional people scattered across the country. And it was like, okay, everybody go home. And you have to think that something that is that widespread is going to have a huge effect on the industry. Um, but, you know, as time went on and more bulletins and stuff started coming out referencing different coverage, it was, like, at least once a week, it was like, oh, gosh, I never even thought about that one. This has gone on so long that now it affects XYZ. Mm-hmm. And I I think it's just the the sheer magnitude of something affecting the entire planet would have to have implications on the industry. But it, it took, like Carol said, a couple of weeks to realize just how global and ongoing this was going to be.
4: Yeah. You talk about it being ongoing and you know, there's been sort of a a flux and and lift of many of the moratorium or non-cancellations of policies over the past six months. Um, and I know there have been some states that we've seen to reimpose them. Do you think there's going to continue to be that? Or do you think we'll continue to see them lifted? What, what's your view on that?
2: I think the ones that are still in place are going to stay in place for a while. Um, I was honestly surprised when Arkansas was continued because they were like, oh, yeah, we're, we we think this is done. Um, but I guess the increase in cases in their state made them decide otherwise. I think most of the states realize, um, and Lisa's already said this, most of the states are very well aware that there is the solvency issue as well as the consumer protection issue. And they're trying to uh, thread that that needle, that metaphor almost went off the rails. Um, I think if there are more stay-at-home orders that are issued if uh, or if the unemployment rate suddenly skyrockets even greater than it is, I would not be surprised to see them reimposed.
3: Yeah, and I do want to say um, on the solvency thing, I have not heard of any solvency issues that are, I don't want people to panic when they hear us and think, oh my God, the industry's going down. But there's plenty of data out there that if every claim that was filed under business interruption policies that contained virus exclusions were to be paid, it would take the industry down. And I I think it's, it's just the longer this goes on, the more I think the regulators, I think Understandably and justifiably, the first reaction of a state insurance regulator at a time of a crisis is going to be what do we need to issue or say to protect our state citizens who are policyholders? And I think our point on solvency is as this goes on and on and on, that other side of the job of, well, we you know we don't want to do harm to the actual industry that we need to serve our consumers. So I just want to make clear that we haven't, I'm not aware of anybody having any solvency issues as a result result of the pandemic Mm -hmm. at
1: this point. Understood. Well, when do you think it will all be over? And when will we get back to business as usual in the industry? I have no idea. If you have the answer to that question, you... (laughs) And I don't know what business as
3: usual is going to look like. I mean, I've seen some very large insurers say, all right, you know what? Everybody's proved themselves. We're not going back to the office. Now, as far as when it will be over, I don't think anything's over until there is an effective vaccine. Um, and then you have to worry if people will, will take it or not. But I, I, I think we may be... You asked earlier about 10 years from now, what's the industry going to look back at this and and remember? And Carol mentioned the flexibility for employees. And I think that business as usual may not be what it used to be.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. I think we're already beginning to see evidence of of that in the industry with large insurers limiting the number of brick and mortar Mm -hmm. offices, satellite offices that they have. Um, you mentioned teamwork uh that's that's why organizations uh, like the ones that you, you women represent as well as the ICP exists um I think I think we help aid in that that teamwork effort uh by putting out this kind of information um, that our associations uh, specialize in. Um, I think that's the running theme as I see it uh, with today's discussion, um, the impact received from listening to another's interpretation of a state law, um, it definitely takes the village, as mentioned earlier.
4: Yeah, and I I think a key word that I've heard multiple times um, throughout this discussion is flexibility and really that, you know, this has demonstrated flexibility at its best because our industry has at times been perceived or, you know, has had to be very rigid at times. Um, And I think a lot of that has diminished throughout this and flexibility has been a key point. And hopefully I think there can be a lot of things taken from that to where flexibility helps us get things done quicker and really there's not a huge impact. Um, so hopefully that's something that you're talking about lessons learned, maybe that's one of the things is you guys talk that we can think about going forward.
3: Yeah, and I think to that end, Scott, you know, I think a lot of industry probably thinks of regulators as inflexible, and many of them have shown incredible flexibility during this time. And I think one of the hopes for we compliance people is that maybe like a lot of employers are realizing, oh, people can be trusted to work from home and are actually incredibly productive. And I think people get more hours out of an employee working from home than they do one that goes into the office because when, where do you draw the line and when does your workday end? But maybe the regulators are going to realize that some of what we as industry might call you know, old arcane requirements that have had to be relaxed or rescinded during this crisis are things that perhaps we don't need to put back in place. Maybe there are better ways to do things that are more efficient for the companies and do not diminish the information received or regulatory ability of our state regulators. So maybe some good can come out of this on that end.
2: Absolutely.
3: Lisa and Carol, we thank you. Yeah. Thank you very
2: much for the opportunity. Oh, it was my pleasure. I enjoyed it.